This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and managing editor of the Business of Government magazine. Today, every federal agency operates in an environment where budgets are tightening and the demand for services seem to be increasing. Agencies need to be more effective and more efficient with the resources they have. And the U.S. General Services Administration's Federal Acquisition Service, FAST, works to support federal agencies to do just that. FAST seeks to assist agencies to save time and money by supporting smarter purchasing platforms. What are the strategic priorities for GSA's Federal Acquisition Service, FAS? How has category management benefited federal acquisition? And what is the Making It Easier initiative? We'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Kevin Yule Page, Deputy Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service, FAS, within the U.S. General Services Administration. Kevin, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Kunal Saravanshi. Kunal, welcome. Happy to be here. So, Kevin, um, would you start off giving us an overview of the mission of the U.S. uh, General Services Administration's Federal Acquisition Service, FAS? Uh, How has it evolved to date? Well, sure. Uh, FAS is the only civilian agency in the federal government whose mission is acquisition. Uh, We do uh, almost $5 billion a year of assisted acquisition procurement for our customers. We manage travel solutions, card solutions, transportation, uh, and many other things besides. The FAST mission has always been to use uh, FAST's acquisition expertise to leverage the buying power of the federal government and to help our agencies to be more efficient and effective, uh, to make it easier, faster, and less costly for agencies to get what they need to meet their missions. Um, so about three years ago, uh, Tom Sharp launched a new vision for FAST, uh, and that was to help us improve our ability to make FAST the federal acquisition marketplace. Uh, we wanted to transform our organization from one that was focused on providing contracts uh, into a neutral home for acquisition expertise and category management expertise. We wanted to become more transparent uh, and provide agencies across government with the tools and expertise they needed, no matter where it resided in the federal government or industry, uh, to make the right buying decisions. So the real vision three years ago was to focus on three critical elements. We wanted FAST to give you the best value no matter where it comes from. Uh, We wanted ourselves to provide better contracts and solutions. We wanted to offer pre-positioned, customer-focused contracts to meet the agency requirements. And we also wanted to make sure that we communicated the full spectrum of service that FAST offers. We're well known for delivering contract access to our multiple award schedules and to our GWAC IDIQs and others. But we wanted to let people know we do assisted acquisition at a higher service level. And beyond that, we're more and more moving into the shared services space with things like our fleet offerings and other IT offerings that we manage. So 
really to to make this government marketplace happen, we evolved fast. Uh, and the mission was to take on four big in- initiatives uh, to bring that, that vision to life. One was category management. Uh, we wanted to follow the private sector best practice and make sure that FAST was aligned to offer products and services the way industry was aligned to deliver them, and that we were simultaneously making that marketplace by lining up our agency demand to best fit into the into those commercial practices. So category management divided up federal spending into key categories, and we are convening teams around government to line up demand with uh, the ability of industry to meet that demand. To help with that, we developed the concept, and and our second strategy was to develop the common acquisition platform. Because organizing the government spending is a tremendous change management effort, we needed a place uh, that could become the focal point for that change management. The common acquisition platform, the vision was to create that marketplace that would create transparency, what contracts are available, regardless of who awarded them, uh, and to give people tools and advice and unbiased places to come and understand where they could best meet their mission value through through category management. So the, the CAP program is designed to be a, a, a major data play to bring people into a common environment to understand the marketplace and make their best decisions for their missions. And we've also worked the shared services concept into CAP. We run the integrated award environment and have a lot of data uh, around uh, federal acquisition that could, could really enable that conversation. And then very internally focused so that FAST would succeed in a more competitive marketplace, federal marketplace, uh, we were working on our own business model modernization, our third strategy. And this was really to take a new look at our typically contract-driven uh, approaches to business and, and recast them as category approaches to business. So we really worked with industry and and with our uh, partners in government to develop the Network Services 2020 vision, which was a category management strategy to recast uh, the way we would be going to market uh, now uh, for, for network services. We have engaged in a mass transformation initiative to radically rethink the way uh, we manage that tremendously important federal program. And beyond that, we uh, left depots, for example. We, are, we no longer hold any inventory in the Federal Acquisition Service. So we exited our depots and are now engaged fully in a fourth-party logistics strategy for managing our logistics and supply chain. So in, in many areas of the fast business, uh, we've been examining what service level we're operating at, moving it up the service level queue where appropriate, uh, and working on ways to make our operations more lean and effective so that we can pass those savings on to our customers. And last and not least, our fourth strategy was to expand the amount of assisted acquisition acquisition work we were doing because our customers were very pleased when we were doing the work with them and for them, uh, much more so than we were when we were handing them contracts that they could go and do a lot of work uh, to make work for them. So I, I, you kind of hinted at it, uh, but operationally, you kind of talked about the organization itself, but what kind of budget are we looking at and how many folks are at, in FAST? Well, uh, FAST uh, helps support more than $50 billion in products and services to the government each year. That's just about one in five federal dollars spent in procurement. Uh, we have, uh, if you, I guess the best way to think of us is FAST is just a big nonprofit uh, here to serve our partner agencies in mission delivery. Other than a few small programs, we're not appropriated by Congress, uh, and very little of what we do is mandatory. So we have to uh, make sure our partners feel that we're their best option, uh, and then we collect our cover our costs through a few recovery approach. We have about 3,000 employees uh, all across the country. Uh, That's down from about 4,000 several years ago. So we've seen significant uh, trimming of our costs in the last uh, several years. And these employees are really all around the country. Uh, They're also in Europe. Uh, We have folks in the Pacific Rim. Uh, We have 
folks who deploy with our troops uh, sometimes uh, to the Middle East. We've had deployed folks in Afghanistan and Iraq in the past. Uh, so we, uh, we we feel it's very important to, to live where our customers live and to, and to try to be as close to them as we can, uh, how we deploy our folks. In terms of footprint, I guess enterprise-wide, we operate through a central office hub here in Washington, D.C. We also have 11 regions across the country. Uh, and uh, we've been reorganizing recently to make sure that our organization, our regional structure, and our, our central office structure lines up well on category management. There really is an effort underway to make sure that the lens through which we view our business is customer category. While we have a regional presence, we see that regional presence as being primarily driven by being close to the customer or being a source of strategic human capital for us. There are wonderful people all over this country, and we want to be able to tap into those sources of talent. And of course, you know, we talk about the footprint of FAST, and we can talk about that also in terms of the services we offer. We have the multiple awards schedule I talked about. It represents about 21% of that federal spending. We have more than 16,900 contracts that span all the categories that FAST supports. Uh, more than 28 million supplies and services are available through the multiple award schedule. And, and in 20, uh, FY 2016, uh, the sales that were supported by the schedule were $42.9 billion. That was $33 billion uh, through the GSA schedules. Uh, I might add over 81% of those contracts are held by small business. We also uh, know that uh, almost $10 billion was spent under the uh, VA schedules. The VA runs uh, under a delegated authority, uh, health-related uh, multiple award schedules. And that $10 billion doesn't include the fourth quarter, so you can only imagine. Yeah. Uh, we support state and local sales through the schedule of almost $874 million a year. And uh, the professional services schedules uh, sales themselves are $6.3 billion, so a significant support of, of professional services. Uh, we're also well-known for our government-wide uh, acquisition contracts. These are focused on IT. Uh, we supported over $6 billion in, in IT volume last year in FY16. Uh, and the network services uh, uh, contracts, which is a suite of contracts, including networks and others, uh, uh, we're supporting over $2.6 billion worth of federal spending. So anyway, we, uh, we are uh, very proud of the footprint we have and the support that we give across a wide variety of, uh, of services and needs. Very impressive. So Kevin, what are your duties and responsibilities as the FAS Deputy Commissioner, and how do your uh, efforts support GSA's overall mission? I really see my job as helping to set the conditions for FAS to succeed, uh, and then more importantly, to set the conditions for our FAS associates to su succeed within that framework. Our executive team works periodically to create a vision and the metrics and for everyone to operate within. And as such, we've worked the three-year vision I talked about. And uh, we really, uh, taking that leadership team through developing the strategic vision and the strategic plan is a big part of what we do. And then keeping people honest and, and focused on those, those outcomes. Equally important, uh, we think giving the FAST associates the tools they need that they can flourish and, and do well within, within that context uh, is a key objective. Um, it's very complicated, as you might imagine, working the vast array of programs. Some of the tools don't, aren't as effective as they need to be, so a big part of the chief operating officer's job or my job is to make sure that new tools are being introduced to the workforce that will help them do their jobs better. Our, you know, our commissioner, Tom Sharp, took the idea last year, stole it actually, from the Secretary of Labor who spoke to a, a, a group of SES gathering about the inverted pyramid. And it's really a, a servant leadership uh, model. It's a lot like it sounds. Uh, the idea of the inverted pyramid is that the employees, the associates are at the top of the pyramid. They are where the rubber meets the road. They are the most important asset of the organization. They interface with our customers. They interface with the public. And below them on the pyramid, supporting them, are their 
supervisors and managers who are uh, trying to keep their work organized and make sure that they're getting what they need to do their jobs. And then below all of that are the executives uh, like me and like Tom Sharp who are and, and our regional commissioners and assistant commissioners in FAST really trying to give the vision and the, the direction and, the, and, and an enabling environment that will let people raise their hand and raise tough questions about why it's hard for us to serve our customers better and give them the space and freedom to do that and then give them the reward of giving them better tools and processes and support for doing that work. So it's critical we keep our associates engaged. Uh, they are our, our customer satisfaction engine, uh, and and that's how we see the role of senior leadership at FAST. So, you know, uh, Kevin, with regarding your duties and responsibilities, what you've just outlined, what are some of your, like, say, top management challenges that you face, and how have you sought to address those challenges? Well, I guess let me just start one step to the left of FAST. Uh, you know, right now, I see one of the biggest challenges we face in a meta context is really making public service cool again. Um, and we're obviously um, very engaged in, in trying to do some uh, game-changing change around the federal acquisition system with category management and repositioning FAST to support that. Um, and one of the challenges is doing that in an environment where public service isn't necessarily valued in the way it has been in the past. Uh, and so all change is hard, uh, and making revolutionary change in the acquisition system is hard. Uh, and so that, I'd say, is the primary challenge, doing it in the context where um, we're not necessarily always called the best and the brightest <laughs> is deeply, deeply difficult. I, a little story. I, I, before I joined the federal government, I worked at the World Bank and I was a consultant uh, working on infrastructure projects in East Asia. Um, and I would go for three weeks at a time to countries over there who were struggling to build a road that would connect the north and south part of their country, for example. And it was maybe a $150 million project. And we'd struggle for three weeks on good governance and on relocating people properly and on making sure that the road was not a road to nowhere and, uh, you know, th those kinds of things. And I would fly back from three weeks working to make a single road project of $150 million happen, and I would land at Dulles, and I would drive past $10 billion worth of infrastructure that no one thinks about. Because American public servants, whether local, state, or federal, made that happen, and people weren't even aware it was, I mean, we complained about our roads, trust me. You haven't ex experienced uh, good infrastructure until you've landed uh, you know, in, in, in the Western world again uh, from, from being overseas. So being a public servant and being an ethical and dedicated public servant is something we really need to value. And a big challenge in making this change happen is doing this change in a context where that isn't commonly understood or commonly agreed to. So, Kevin, given your background in the private sector, international development, now with FAST, what are the characteristics uh, that make one an effective leader, and what are some of your leadership uh, principles that guide your efforts? When I think back on all the people I've worked with and for, uh, the, the, the thing that I've always valued is that servant leader, is the, is the person whose idea of leadership isn't to tell me what to do, but to ask me what we should do and to or to help me see a future that is uh, brighter or is, is more interesting in some way. Um, and so on my best days, I, I see myself as trying to be a servant leader and embody those, those, those norms. Um, as I learned about senior leadership in some of our executive development programs around government and as I've studied it myself, a real key component of being a servant leader isn't just it isn't just kumbaya about being um, good to the people working with you and for you, uh, but it really is leading with a strong sense of ethics uh, um, and, and 
I, I think Bob Greenleaf wrote that it's it's about having a sense of vision to be able to see a little bit around the corners that are coming. You want to keep your folks out of trouble. Uh, so the ethics of avoiding problems before they arise is a big part of, of leadership. So um, I believe in that. I believe in giving people a vision and then giving them all the energy that you can to let them go do that and, and co-develop it with you. Um, and I believe, truthfully, the best leaders ask a lot of questions. Uh, they really listen to what the answer is and what's missing from those answers. Uh, and uh, ultimately, when one is doing that with as much self-awareness as one can uh, put together, uh, uh, that'll work. What are the strategic priorities of GSA's Federal Acquisition Service, or FAS? We will ask Kevin Yule Page, its Deputy Commissioner, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The latest edition of the Business of Government magazine delves into a diverse set of topics and public management issues facing us today. Hi, I'm Michael Keegan, the editor of the Business of Government magazine, and with each edition I present the leadership stories of a select group of public servants and complement their frontline experience with practical insights from thought leaders, merging real-world experience with practical scholarship. Check out the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine and find out. Download or order a free copy at businessofgovernment.org. What are cross-agency priority goals? How can government buying match the best in business? What is being done to modernize infrastructure permitting? How can shared services help government be more efficient? Join Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with John Kamensky, Senior Fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Tune in on Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio 1500 a.m. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Kevin Yule Page, Deputy Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service within the U.S. General Services Administration. Also joining us from IBM is Kunal Saravanchi. So, Kevin, would you outline the strategic vision and key priorities of GSA's Federal Acquisition Service, or FAS? So I did talk a little bit about the FAS strategy and vision in the last segment, but it's it's worth reframing it in this question. The a large part of what we think was absent from the federal marketplace prior to the category management effort and the acquisition gateway effort is that we had a federal marketplace. Uh, it was $450 billion a year of things being bought and sold. Uh, but there was very little uh, transparency in the marketplace. And if you can imagine trying to, say, buy stocks in a marketplace where you couldn't see uh, what the stock had just sold for through someone else, uh, a non-transparent marketplace is not an efficient marketplace. And so a big part of the strategy of creating category management and creating the acquisition gateway to share uh, the efficiency of the marketplace is to create that more uh, efficient marketplace for federal transactions. So we want FAST to create that. Uh, and then a lot of the rest of FAST's strategy, which is to develop the category management, to do the acquisition gateway, uh, to uh, improve our business models so that mass was transformed and we were engaging Network Services 2020 as a strategic enterprise, supply transformation, those things. And, and also our fourth strategy of increasing this, the, the scope and size of our assisted acquisition. Those were efforts internally uh, to drive FAST's success in a more competitive federal marketplace overall. So we're really continuing to to see our role as being the honest broker, creating an efficient federal marketplace, uh, regardless of whether 
uh, fast as the ultimate answer for a customer. And then our own internal strategies is to do what we can to make sure we are that answer because it's our mission. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier one of the key initiatives you've been pursuing is category management across the federal enterprise. So I have, uh, it's a two-part question. First, can you explain to us what is category management? And, and secondly, and more importantly, what has been accomplished to date and what remains to be done? Well, I mean, category management is simply the process of managing a product or a service category, a grouping of like common products and services as a strategic business unit, and then customizing the outcomes that come out of how we transact business in those categories to meet customer needs. It's really about getting uh, customers' missions done uh, more efficiently and with better value, and really acting as one, truly leveraging the government's buying power uh, while doing that. And the buying power isn't necessarily... Uh, or even primarily about price. It's about good practices and value. We first need in category management to get to common requirements uh, wherever we can to reduce the duplicative and costly efforts it takes uh, to manage a, a single type of spending. How many contracts do we need to think through the uh, awarding of and the management of for office supplies? And the answer is we have quite a few right now. You know, on, on the flip side of that, we we hear the criticism back that, that that category management seems to be only about contract duplication reduction or vendor compression. And the truth is, category management is a strategic approach to looking at one's spending and the way one is going about uh, getting those products and services in. And if we make the decision, we would like to do business with a lot more small businesses, which Congress has recently told us we might want to do. It is a strategic ability to do that as well, and to do that with the maximum efficiency and thought rather than as a random garden with 10,000 flowers blooming. So category management is, is really a disciplined way to act as one uh, to achieve whatever outcome and whatever public policy outcome we're being asked to achieve. And so uh, that, is, that is really what we're, we're doing here. And the results that we've seen from this, I mean, even even where we've taken on a little bit of category management, uh, we, we've seen significant savings, not just in price, but but in the in the the way we've been able to manage our demand uh, and manage more effective competition. Uh, and all those savings are passed on in terms of more mission being delivered or savings to the taxpayer another way. Um, since we started the category management initiative, uh, OMB's announced 10 government-wide category managers. Uh, GSA is proud to represent six of them. Uh, we, uh, we support the professional services, IT, facilities and construction, industrial products and services, travel and lodging, and office management categories across the federal space. Um, other leaders uh, are coming out of the Department of Defense, the Office of Personnel Management, and the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, so these efforts are very important in terms of coalescing the right communities of interest, both in the government uh, demand side and the industry supply side, uh, to craft together uh, better solutions to reduce duplication or to otherwise generate greater uh, mission value. What lessons have you learned since its inception, since its introduction to the federal space? And how much of that come from the private sector? And are other countries doing category management? And have you been able to peer into what they're doing, what they're achieving? It's a terrific question, yeah. Uh, The the category management effort has been a commercial practice for the last 15 years. Uh, And as I like to joke, if the private sector has been doing it for 15 years, we're right on time for the federal (laughs) government to be be jumping in. Uh, It's been very successful in the commercial world. uh, 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 Companies, I I can't name them on the air, but uh, big companies that you will have heard of have done category management, and they see it very much as a value generation exercise 
enterprise, they, they initially start off often to save money, they think, and what they find out is that they're making procurement, this extramural spending, the spending outside their walls, turning it into a strategic asset rather than a cost is what they, uh, they ultimately see coming out of the effort to get organized internally. So it's government's time to take on this challenge. Uh, the private sector does it best. Um, we've, we've been studying Fortune 500 and talking to a, a number of companies that have done it uh, and onboarding their lessons. Uh, and you're, you asked the question about overseas. We've been benchmarking actively with the United Kingdom uh, and Canada. Uh, we, we're, uh, I've been very privileged to sit on a trilateral uh, committee. We talk about it. I, and we, we talk periodically about various issues common to our governments. Uh, and they have uh, used it in the UK government to some effect. Uh, and uh, also in Canada, which has gone very far in the direction of standing up uh, independent shared services organizations. Uh, they have also undertaken category management with a, with a great deal of um, success and, and they're learning lessons too. One of the key things uh, that we continue to, to, to learn, uh, I think we knew this going in, but it keeps getting reemphasized every time we, we talk to uh, another stakeholder that's done this, is no one ever has tried to do this at the scale of the United States federal government in the world. And so, in a way, uh, we're off uh, forging our own lessons learned uh, that hopefully will become applicable to others. But it's fascinating talking to UK and Canada. If you're a student of government, um, they operate under parliamentary systems. And it's very in- interesting the impact that that has ultimately in terms of the, this, the ability to operate there versus in a federated environment that we operate in and under our constitution. And so there are differences. Uh, when a government decides to do something, it means one thing in, in uh, Canada and another thing in the U.S. So a lot of lessons uh, that we're learning. Uh, I would just say my biggest lesson, I, I, I say this whenever I'm talking about category management, there are a lot of ways to fail at this. It's a very very hard collective action problem. Uh, the first way to fail is not to try. Uh, and so we have been uh, we have been working very hard to, to make sure that we're doubling down on our engagement, our collaboration, our communication. Uh, and, and it's very important as we've gone out more to talk about what we're trying to do to get organized internally, to reinforce the message this is about mission delivery and value for mission delivery and not to allow the conversation to to go to people's worst assumptions about the fears. This is the government trying to get lowest price technically acceptable. Nonsense. Uh, that is not what we're after. We're after a more intelligent approach to, to sourcing, a more intelligent approach to managing demand. Communication. So the lesson learned was communication. And we're out on the hustings all the time trying to okay. get this message out. We have an upcoming uh, co-sponsored event with ACT-IAC on March 1st, uh, which is to focus on category management, uh, becoming a mission delivery organization through the, the embrace of category management. We'll also talk about the acquisition gateway. Um, so it's it's real important for people to sign up and come here more and be part of the conversation. As part of category management, GSA has focused on this concept called category hallways. Could you elaborate on the importance of this approach and how these hallways will help you develop services and capabilities to continuously improve your acquisition process and outcomes? Sure. Fundamentally, the the category hallways were were just one way of thinking of this acquisition, organizing this acquisition gateway. And again, the gateway was really thought through as a a change management uh, capability to help support uh, change management around category management, helping us to act as one. To act as one, you have to have a common operating picture, a common way of seeing uh, the space. And if you think about the wide variety of goods and services that uh, that are 
purchased by the government each year, you have to organize them somehow. And so categories are somewhat arbitrary. They're, they're lined up on industry's ability to deliver, but they're still very large. It's a way to create a hallway within the overall shopping uh, experience so that you can go find the thing you're interested in, in learning more about or finding the good practice around. So we, we split these category hallways up into the main categories of spend. And in, inside the categories, all the information related to that category, for example, which government-wide vehicles are available, GSA and non-GSA, uh, industry trends, price analysis where, where available, good practices. Um, we're working hard now to, to build tools and, and digital tools within, uh, within the gateway uh, so that you could look up things like uh, statements of work that have been successful uh, and save yourself time. So we have emerging stories out of the gateway of people who went with a blank sheet of paper and walked out of the gateway 20 minutes later, 90% of the way down the road to having their acquisition ready to go. They had information for their acquisition plans. They had a statement of work they needed to refine a little bit. And they were able to speed up their mission delivery. And by the way, speed up their mission delivery on vehicles that were known to provide good value uh, because of past performance. So this is really, the hallways are just an organizational structure to tackle category management at a more operational level and to, to provide that virtuous feedback loop to the category teams that are developing strategies to make everything more useful to the end user. So has FAST uh, reorganized itself around category management? I mean, what do you need to do to align your business portfolio with these category strategies and goals? FAST has, uh, is in the process right now of reorganizing itself around category management. Um, FAST always was organized to some extent around categories. We had our integrated technology service and our general services and supplies organization and our travel. Uh, but what we're really doing it, it, when we did a, a, a relook at our organizational structure is to re-emphasize in everything that, that we do and the way we're organized, uh, customer first uh, and category as the organizing principles. Uh, we've changed some of the portfolio names. The integrated technology service is now the integrated technology category. But within the integrated technology category, they have done important work to line themselves up uh, in ways they had they had been aligned before on contract. Now they're aligned on uh, service areas like IT security or IT hardware, uh, and so they are now looking at their business through uh, how does how do I meet my end users' need independent of what contract is used. Uh, just how do I meet their need? And this is going to let us be a lot more agile as an organization uh, to get an, an agency to uh, to an outcome quicker. Uh, we've realigned uh, the business portfolios to the main categories of spend. Uh, and this is just some of the ways we've been trying to tune up the way we operate to support category management and our customer focus. You know, the next big thing federal agencies are dealing with is cybersecurity. And, and given your role at FAST, it, what are you doing in the area of cybersecurity, making accessible the products and services government executives need uh, to actively defend against cyber attacks and mitigate the risks that they're facing each day? Uh, it's a great question uh, and, and a very large problem that we're tackling as a government. Uh, FAST and GSA have been uh, full partners in the interagency response to a lot of the recent cybersecurity events. Uh, we've been part of the uh, cyber national action planning teams. Um, and what this has meant for FAST is a, an opportunity to use our category management structure 
uh, to lean into uh, this exact problem. And one of the subcategories of IT spending is IT security. And so we have uh, seen our IT security folks suddenly get thrust uh, front and center on a very large uh, government stage responding to uh, our, our current cyber crisis. In immediate response to the to the OPM uh, event, uh, we did a couple things. Uh, First of all, we were we, we built a government-wide contract in partnership with uh, DOD and OPM uh, to give people cyber uh, personal identity protection, uh, and that was done as a as a government-wide effort uh, through OPM. Uh, we have a program in in the IT category called USA Access. We manage the the identity cards that are uh, technology enabled to, to HSPD 12 standards, but we issued a lot of emergency PIV cards, uh, personally identifiable verification cards to uh, agencies that were making sure that they could secure their admin functions with dual-factor authentication. So we leaned very quickly into uh, into dual-factor authentication support for big agencies across government to get them to green on the cyber sprint. So, Kevin, a cornerstone of successful performance management is really support from leadership and good use of analytics. Uh, could you talk a little bit about how FAS is using analytics to not only improve services and quality, but to also identify new customers and services? Uh, I'd be delighted. Well, FAS has, is using um, a lot of visualization and data analytics to help us with our internal campaign. I, I mentioned we're turning to customer uh, as a matter of our three-year focus, and, and there are, are three key concepts there are to understand our customer, to anticipate them, and then to serve them. Uh, we're able to come in with a much more targeted discussion uh, to help agencies, uh, to, to tell agencies where GSA or FAST can be of, of greater service to them. So we've used analytics combined with good old human intelligence to really get a more pointed message across and to be a better consultative partner uh, with our with our federal agencies. So that's that's been very important. We are using these same data analytics uh, to look at the trends and measure and benchmark progress in the category management strategies. So we are able to understand through use of analytics where uh, we are seeing the reduction and duplication of uh, full and open contract awards taking place or understand the dynamics of how requirements are, are moving from one solution to another across government. We're able to uh, have that conversation with our agency partners and also with industry uh, about why it is uh, these changes are taking place and so that we can make sure we're, we're, we are responsive to those changes. How has category management benefited federal acquisition? We will ask Kevin Yule Page, Deputy Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service within the U.S. General Services Administration, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. From forging a unity of effort in homeland security, to strategizing today how to feel the U.S. Army of tomorrow, to pursuing affordable housing, eliminating fraud, waste, and abuse in healthcare, and securing cyberspace, the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine delves into a diverse set of topics and public management issues facing us today. Hi, I'm Michael Keegan, the editor of the Business of Government magazine, and with each edition, I present the leadership stories of a select group of public servants and complement their frontline experience with practical insights from thought leaders, merging real-world experience with practical scholarship. The purpose is not to offer a definitive solution to many of the management challenges facing government executives, but to provide a resource from which to draw practical, actionable recommendations on how best to confront these issues. Check out the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine and find out. 
we bring you insights and interviews from government executives who are changing the way government does business. Download or order a free copy at businessofgovernment.org. What are cross-agency priority goals? How can government buying match the best in business? What is being done to modernize infrastructure permitting? How can shared services help government be more efficient? Join Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with John Kamensky, Senior Fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Tune in on Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio 1500 a.m. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Kevin Yule Page, Deputy Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service within the U.S. General Services Administration. Also joining us from IBM is Kunal Suravanshi. So, Kevin, you mentioned in the previous segment the Mass uh, Transformation Initiative, which is the Multiple Award Schedule Transformation Initiative. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? And how does it address current market forces and seeks uh, to provide government with a streamlined value-based contracting solution? We're doing that. Um, in, in a number of ways. Uh, we're making sure requirements that we have at the base schedule level are continuing to meet our customer needs. Several examples of uh, looking at cyber sin, we've created a separate healthcare IT uh, sin. Other categories are looking to understand whether they should uh, redefine some of their, their base uh, requirements at the, at the contract solicitation level to better meet professional services firms where they are or to, or to change the standards for bringing on innovation. So we're working hard to re- redefine our SIN structure, our special item number structure within the contracts. Another example, we took the schedules that we'd been working in professional services and reduced the number of different multiple award schedule contracts we had from eight to one. Uh, We consolidated them, making it easier for our industry partners and us. We've reduced over 700 duplicate contracts just in GSA's multiple award schedule program alone by uh, engaging in this professional services consolidation. So we've saved industry a lot of redundant time and effort managing redundant contracts and ourselves. And we have not reduced one bit uh, the skills that people have access to through the multiple award schedule program. So uh, these kinds of changes have been uh, really important. As you said in your question, the the mass transformation visions to provide our stakeholders with a program that addresses current market forces and provides government with a streamlined value-based contracting solution that saves time and money well into the future. And so we're doing other things. Um, we want to make the mass program more commercial. Um, and a great example of this is the work that we've done under our recent rule for transactional data. A key feature of that is to remove the non-commercial aspect of the program that's existed for some time, the price reduction clause and the, and the commercial sales practices work um, that has been an old way of, of creating a backstop on pricing for the government that we can rely on for a fair and reasonable determination. Uh, it's very, very burdensome for industry to maintain those provisions in the contract. They have it's non-commercial in nature. They have to keep track of some tracking customer, and if they offer that tracking customer a lower price, they have to give it to the government, and sometimes they make a mistake, and it becomes a very costly litigation matter, or they just need to maintain a very heavy overhead uh, to manage pricing. And this is not a commercial practice in any stretch. It really is a good practice that when we were dealing with a couple of original equipment manufacturers or product firms, but we have long since left that universe. We now deal with service industry. We now deal with resellers. And so 
by introducing the transactional data rule, replacing these outdated ways of, of maintaining good pricing and replace it with a commercial means of collecting price information and using that to manage fair and reasonable pricing going forward. Uh, that is a pilot that we're very excited about and we believe transforms the mass program more than anything in years, decades. We think it's going to affirm the mass program as the contract vehicle of choice for commercial products, services, and solutions. Uh, we know it's going to streamline the award administration and ordering process through modernized systems like the transactional data collection point and others that we're working on. Uh, we're very focused on maximizing the ease of the use of the schedules uh, and making the schedules open to a much wider base of vendors, uh, particularly new companies or innovative companies that may have been dissuaded from being involved in federal procurement till now. Uh, we've taken steps to make them uh, more welcome and to get them on board quicker. We've got a pilot initiative underway right now to foster that continuous improvement around plain language uh, contracting and, and around bringing innovative firms on schedule quicker. So a lot of work to make sure the multiple award schedule program grows and becomes a 21st century program. You talked a little bit about the transactional data rules. So can you uh, elaborate on that? Can you tell us a little bit more about how this uh, you have this application called the formatted product tool and the transactional data reporting rule? How do these factor into your overall effort? Well, thanks, Kunal. I mean, the, the formatted product tool and the transactional data rule, these are two of our biggest areas of focus uh, to get the schedules program to where it needs to be uh, into the 21st century and making sure that we keep it the best-in-class solution by honing in on the data. Uh, so we launched the formatted product tool this summer uh, to standardize data and improve competitive pricing. So thousands of suppliers on the schedules offer millions of items, and these items all have part numbers, descriptions, and price points that are then made available to the customers on GSA Advantage. Uh, but for decades now and through the growth of the program, and though we've seen dramatic increase in the number and variety of items, uh, we haven't necessarily been able to uh, get to a common part number that would let us uh, give all of the comparative information we'd like to. So when we go into Amazon as individual consumers, uh, we, we realize for the same tent that we want to buy, we might see 14 different sellers of that tent. And the the, the prices are not all the same, uh, and that's okay. There's a curve. And when we go into GSA Advantage and look for that same tent, the good news is we see a curve also, just like Amazon. It's just at the lower point of that curve, we have a lower price, and we also have a, a much higher price. And so we've been able to use the formatted product tool and the ability to compare tent with tent to make our environment in the government much more commercial, uh, much more like we expect to see it as a, as a commercial buyer. So we're, we are using formatted product tool and common part numbers to create more competitive pricing, not necessarily lower pricing, mind you. We still have a range of prices, but some of the outliers have gone out because it, we don't need to buy a, a convenience item from a company that can't supply that tent at, at a more normal price uh, that it's available in the federal government. So that's been an important uh, part of winning our customers back to the idea that the multiple award schedule provides value-based pricing and that, that you can rely on that pricing. And then uh, we have also done, we're working in the similar way, but, uh, but it's a different part of the acquisition process to collect information under the transactional data reporting rule. So we're collecting uh, there at, at the actual order level. The, the formatted product tool captures data at the, the, the master contract level, but at the ordering level, we often see discounts uh, because the master contract is designed for a quantity of zero at an unknown delivery point. And so 
uh, companies cannot give their very best offers necessarily until the requirement is better understood in terms of quantity and some of the full requirements that'll be required around that particular order. So the transactional data rule helps us to see who is buying what uh, and when across the schedules program. And it's really going to give us an unprecedented level of transparency, like I said before, about who's buying common things that might be better uh, worked in in conjunction with each other uh, without impacting at all, I think, industry's ability to deliver and to be profitable. This is the point. We want to be better buyers uh, so that we can cut some of the waste out of the system. Not necessarily, we're not after lowest price, we're after the best values. Uh, But we can't even see today where to go after that best value because we don't know who's making the the use of the schedules. This has been a tremendous shift. Uh, The transactional data rule I mentioned before, in exchange for this valuable data that's going to help us be better value buyers, uh, is also getting rid of a very burdensome rule, the most burdensome rule identified in the national dialogue with industry. Uh, the form it, It's removing from the, the, those in the pilot uh, anyone subject to the price reduction clause of the commercial sales practices. And that burden is being reduced in exchange for some additional cost we're as, asking industry to take on to provide us these valuable strategic data. Um, so the TDR requirements currently being rolled out in a pilot. Uh, if you're interested, I mean, we're we're talking about it. I can tell you the schedules we're rolling it out uh, across in the pilot. Um, there are, there are a number of them here. The schedule 58. Uh, I is professional audio and video. They, they were our uh, t- telemetry and tracking, recording and producing, and signal data solutions. I mean, we 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 buy a lot of things. Uh, it, it's not a huge schedule in terms of the number of vendors. It was a great pilot to start with. They've been helping us a lot uh, to get it right. We've rolled out with Schedule 72, which is furnishings and floor coverings. Uh, we're scheduling, uh, rolling it out with Schedule 03 FAC, which is facilities maintenance and management. Uh, we're rolling out on Schedule 51V, which is the hardware superstore. Uh, this is all kinds of tools and, and, and things you'd think of going to the hardware store. Schedule 75 is our office products line. Uh, and then we're going out with Schedule 73, which is food service, hospitality, cleaning equipment and supplies, chemicals and services. And that's going out for all of the SINs there. And then we're uh, concluding the pilot with two really important schedules, the the Zero Corp schedule, that's our professional services schedule. And we're going out with selective SINs on this. We're going out with the special item numbers, uh, a limited subset of them. Uh, and, and the interesting thing here is if a company has that special item number, the the pilot is applicable to their whole contract. Uh, but it's our way of, uh, of limiting the scope of the pilot in the beginning and then uh, expanding it. And finally, we're going to go out with Schedule 70 uh, on a couple of important uh, special item numbers for hardware and software. And then the ComSatCom, which is commercial satellite communications. They've been collecting this data for years under the commercial satellite program. Very excited about, uh, about what this will mean for smart buying and government. Talking of uh, special item numbers, uh, how does the new IT Schedule 70 SINs, special item numbers, respond to emerging market forces and customer needs? Well, several of our IT 70 uh, special item numbers were developed with the customer needs in mind, and we've been working actively with customers to keep the program relevant in the current market. A uh, great example of this is the highly adaptive cybersecurity, uh, hacks we call it. We, we established four hacks SINs to provide government agencies with quicker and more reliable access to key pre-vetted support services that will expand their ability to test their high-priority IT systems. Um, it's also helping them to rapidly assess their potential vulnerabilities. This is, again, in response to some of the cybersecurity issues in the last uh, several months and years. 
Uh, and we're trying to use the hacks to help our customers stop adversaries before they impact our network. So the, there's a lot of solution being built into the Schedule 70 to uh, prevent, respond, and, and, and manage uh, all of the, the cyber activity. We've worked with the Defense Health Administration and other health consumers in the federal government to build a health IT SIN. This is new. There's clear differentiation now between health IT from other IT services. And, and so we're making it easier to access innovative and cutting-edge health IT technologies, which are often similar but have interestingly different requirements from normal IT because of some of the regulatory needs around health IT and some of the information security. But also, uh, there have been niche companies that have evolved in the health space that are differentiating themselves in important ways. So we've, we've made it easy Err uh, for government to access those pre-vetted health IT industry partners and simplified the procurement process for our, our partners. And of course, we hope we'll have more data then available to track health IT spend uh, as separate from the rest of IT. And we've set up recently a cloud SIN, uh, which is really, again, same idea. How do we differentiate? If people want to understand how to go to a centralized, streamlined place uh, to get cloud computing services, uh, we've set up the base solicitation to make it easier to get to these cloud services and, and to identify them in the first place uh, so that you can know when you go there you've got the right terms and conditions uh, to buy software uh, or other cloud services in ways that are compliant but also easy to find and, and, and get to. Well, I want to pick up on that easy to find, and I'd like to jump ahead to a question around the Making It Easier initiative. Could you tell us more about this initiative? How does this effort assist new and innovative companies to get on the schedule faster? And to what extent do the fast lane and the startup springboard factor into this effort? As you mentioned, it's a series of programs designed to provide startups, small businesses, and other government suppliers the tools and the support they need to do business with government. And so several of these programs uh, are, are there really to help new and innovative companies get on schedule faster. We started with an IT Schedule 70 plain language roadmap. Um, and what this really does is explain the offer process in plain English, offering step-by-step instructions on how to navigate it. Uh, and the roadmap's had over 6,900 hits to date. We expect that number to keep going up. The fast lane's a little different. It cuts down on the time it takes to get on to Schedule 70. And so right now we're, we're averaging uh, about 31 days uh, to get a new offer approved and going uh, through the fast lane approach. In the past, it took over 110 days to get on IT Schedule 70. So a dramatic reduction in cycle time, which obviously helps us to get new and innovative companies on board quicker. Uh, I'm also pleased to note that more than 108 new companies came on the schedule through this fast lane project in, in the first six months, and the majority of them were small businesses. Um, so the fast lane is not just for new offers. It's also designed to help us decrease the amount of time it takes to get new and innovative products for an existing schedule holder on there. And so now it's easier uh, to get a modification done. Our average time used to be 16 days. Uh, we've reduced that to uh, a mere two days. And we've done over 2,200 modifications last year. Uh, so this is the point is the program's operating actually at some scale uh, and, uh, and is resulting in some real dramatic improvements to customer responsiveness. Another interesting side note, although... I mentioned that it's happening at some scale. There are still thousands of contracts that are operating in, in the non-fast lane environment. They, too, because everyone loves to compete and win, uh, they, too, have reduced their cycle times uh, fairly dramatically, actually. And so this is some of the good practices that we've engaged through the fast lane we're, we're putting into the normal part of the way we run Schedule 70 to make the overall program leaner, faster, and, and more exciting. Um, so another initiative we had is the Startup Springboard. And this really 
started from the problem that that some new companies don't necessarily have the interest or wherewithal to um, to to move into the government space. We're we're too complicated for uh, for small companies or innovative companies to think about. So we're we're trying to make it easier for uh, for startups to to think about supporting the government market space. We've uh, lowered some of the barriers that we put in place to en- enable uh, highly qualified young companies, uh, give them the, the the ability to to put in a, a bid, um, and so we've created different ways to make sure that they're presently responsible and able to support the government. And since April, we've had 217 companies come and do training, and eight of them have submitted offers, and four have been awarded. So while we've seen a small number of awards at this point, there's a fairly large interest. And and the the idea that we have this capability is very important as we're out talking in Silicon Valley and talking up here in the tech corridor uh, with companies that may may not have been focused on, on government previously. And finally, we launched uh, in conjunction with our Office of Small Business uh, Development uh, uh, a small business forecast tool. Uh, We put this in the gateway uh, that gives further assistance in finding business opportunities uh, for all businesses, but it's really particularly useful for small businesses so that they can see the up upcoming contracting opportunities in real time. And so we're, we're, we're trying to promote that vision. So uh, switching gears a bit, could you elaborate on a recently published case regarding order level materials, OLMs, and why this is an important change for stakeholders? Sure. Uh, in September, GSA issued a proposed GSAR rule to incorporate order level materials, also known as other direct costs, into the schedules program. This, this, is, um, this had long been requested by industry, and uh, we are uh, by making this rule or the proposed change, uh, we're trying to give agencies the flexibility to easily acquire order level materials and really create some consistency between the mass program and other established uh, indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contracts around government. Um, look, right now, the government agencies buying through the multiple award schedule have expressed some frustration with their lack of a b- flexibility around how to handle uh, some of these order level materials. And, and so this has created elaborate workarounds and inconsistent application of policies across different agencies. And they really have long advocated us creating the ability under the uh, un- under regulation to acquire and incorporate these uh, into their mass uh, contracts. So what this rule does is it provides flexibility, better value for government agencies, industry partners, and ultimately for the taxpayer. So we're uh, off launching this in seven schedules, and uh, the comment period is is uh, was open for sixty days, and we're right now reviewing the comments we received, and we're going to determine how to proceed. So, uh, Kevin, now looking into your crystal ball and transitioning more to the future, would you give us a sense of some of the key issues that will affect acquisition and procurement offices government wide over the next couple of years? Say, well. I mean, the government is is in the midst of tremendous change, uh, not only change that has been introduced by the last administration, but no doubt that will continue to be pursued by uh, by the Trump administration. And so we're hopeful and believe that we've put in place a great foundation, a, a capability and a predicate that the government should act like the biggest buyer on the planet Earth uh, to do better for the taxpayers that we believe uh, will really be an important springboard uh, and management tool uh, for the incoming administration uh, to build on uh, the, the category management, the mass transformation, and, and our support of shared services more broadly. Um, I think our are tremendously important conversations around having the government buy common requirements, uh, engage in good practice, and take advantage of the best buying that we can do uh, to to support the American people and the missions that we want done in their behalf. So, 
I don't think this conversation ever really ends. I think uh, we're we're deep into it. Uh, I think that uh, looking forward, we're going to continue to uh, have the conversation and have uh, have our our direction uh, reinforced or or or, or adjusted uh, as we uh, as we enter into this next period of, of, of federal governance. And it's important, regardless, uh, that we continue to be ready to spend the American people's money the very best way we can to deliver the outcomes they want. So, Kevin, um, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service? Well, I, you know, I started my career in public service about 11 years ago. I was a mid-career hire, and I've spent time um, in the nonprofit sector when I started my career and uh, working at the World Bank in a quasi-governmental role, consulting to other governments around the world. Uh, and I've worked in the private sector, both at a large company and, uh, and at a small startup uh, that was doing strategy consulting. And I have to say, uh, I have found my time in the federal government to be the most rewarding thing, hands down, that I have ever done. Um, so, uh, in, uh, for all that, uh, for all that's out there in the in the atmosphere, uh, there's no place where you can have a more fundamental impact on doing good things for people you care about in this country than 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 having a federal badge and doing it, bringing it to work every day, and doing your best for the American people. Um, and I'd, I'd say, you know, other advice uh, for people thinking about public service, there's really never been a greater need uh, right now for talented, committed people to join. Uh, your country needs you. Uh, you, you. We would be proud to have you on board. And, uh, and believe me, you'll be proud uh, to represent when you're on board. So uh, even though we're flying in the face of a tremendous amount of public pressure and scrutiny, uh, that's just part of the, what you need to be prepared for. Uh, and... You have to know uh, if you're anything like me, uh, you'll feel like you've made a bigger difference here than you could have made anywhere else, and and it, you're doing an important job that needs doing. So, my advice is go do it if you have any inkling that it's something you might be interested in. I don't think you'll ever regret it. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for coming in today. I mean, you took some time out of your busy schedule, and I just want to thank you for being here. And uh, more importantly, Canal and I would like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thank you very much. Hey, if I could make one more uh, one more plug for uh, an upcoming uh, conference where we can discuss some of the themes we talked about today in in a day long detail, uh, where the ACT IAC and GSA are co hosting. Uh, a, an event uh, here in Washington, D.C. It's uh, around category management and the acquisition gateway. It'll be March 1st. And if you go to the ACT-IAC website, uh, actiac.org, uh, you can register for the conference there. It'll be a chance to hear from industry leaders in category management, uh, high-level federal officials uh, engaged in making it happen. Category management, government-wide category management leaders will go through their, their strategies and will have gateway training and, and the ability to uh, co-develop the next gateway tool uh, as, as a community. So please come and, and be part of the conversation. Thanks again, Kevin. I mean, this was a really robust conversation. Uh, Gwinal and I, I, I want to say thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Kevin Yule Page, Deputy Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service within U.S. General Services Administration. My co-host from IBM has been Kunal Surabanshi. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org.
What are cross-agency priority goals? How can government buying match the best in business? What is being done to modernize infrastructure permitting? How can shared services help government be more efficient? Join Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with John Kamensky, Senior Fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Tune in on Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio 1500 a.m.